0: Yeah. Oh, but I did those like crazy 3D pictures that they do and my eyes look good. They're healthy. Oh, that's good though. So yeah. No issues. No issues. Apparently uh, I got good cardiovascular health, that's... even though I'm like having a hard time breathing right now.
1: They, they said good cardiovascular health. <laughs> what they forgot to mention is really small lungs. Just the tiniest <laughs> lungs they've ever you seen.
0: Need baby lungs.
1: <laughs> baby lungs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they called me, old baby. That's lungs. Called, They called me
0: old baby lungs. They called me in high school. Hey, check it out. There's Chloe, baby lungs Williams. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Slowly, baby lungs, Williams. What a fucking like as if someone
0: would be able to find out (laughs) that I had like like, some kind of medical issue that (laughs) (laughs) my doctor
1: did this to me.
0: What the fuck?
1: My doctor started cyber bullying me on my about my baby lungs, (laughs) and it went viral in my high school. (laughs) Fucking insane.
0: I feel so like broken
1: hey everybody welcome to back to the pilot i'm chase and i'm chloe and today we go back to some classic sitcoms with the brady bunch and i love lucy so give us a little love as we take you back to the pilot
0: wow give us a little love Just okay little
1: love. you know yes there's yeah. some love spreading around in the um in the, the family the, uh, vibes? in the family vibes and stuff and the the couples I like vibes
0: it. i like it i'm on board with that
1: I'm up first, right? Stop means go. Yes, you are up first. Brady brunch. Brady brunch. The baby brunch.
0: I did say brunch. I fucking <laughs> wrote brunch.
1: Did you did you write brunch because you I, said brunch? Because I
0: said brunch and I wrote brunch. Yeah. Brady Bunch. Classic. Classic.
1: Absolute classic.
0: Great. Um, so Chase, what uh, what do you know about the Brady Bunch?
1: Um, here's what I do know about the Brady Bunch: uh, the intro song, mm-hmm. and that my roommate's name is Brady. It has nothing to do with the Brady Bunch, but that is true.
0: <laughs> but it is a fact.
1: But it is a fact, yeah.
0: Nice. All right. So th- that's all you got?
1: I've never seen the show. Um, like, have I, you ever like, seen like the nineties I have like, a movies? relative idea of like the um, sort of like premise of the show, but um, definitely no like prior knowledge of.
0: Okay. Okay, interesting. So my family, like the things I knew about this show beforehand, I didn't know much about the actual show show. I knew, uh, have you ever seen that movie, Dickie Roberts, Childhood Star with David Spade? Yes, I love that movie. Yeah, so like some of the guy, like there's a lot of the actual like original uh, child actors that are in that because that whole movie is about child actors. Oh, yeah. And, like once they grow up. Um. So I knew that was like a thing. And then we, my family watched the newer ones, like the newer movies with like Gary, uh, Gary Coleman. No, Coleman. What's his name? Gary Cole. Gary Cole. Thank you. Um, And I can't even remember who the, who played the mom in the, those movies, but like the 90s, it was like, I want to say like came out in 95. It was like mm. the first revival movie that they did with a different cast. Um, yeah. So I remember watching those, uh, but that's. That's also about it as far as my prior knowledge. I had no information on the creation of the show or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, with that, let's, uh, let's get into it, huh? Huh?
1: Let's get into it. huh. Okay, great. I'm ready.
0: Um, the title of the pilot episode was called The Honeymoon. The pilot episode released on September 26th, 1969. Nice. Uh, it came out on ABC and you can watch it on Paramount Plus with a subscription. And then you can also purchase the episode on various purchasing platforms. And then the creator is Sherwood Schwartz. Uh, name.
1: See- I know, right? Sherwood right? Sherwood Schwartz.
0: You know, what was funny is when I first read it, I uh, actually, or when I was first typing in research about him, I, the first time I wrote his name, I wrote Sherman Schwartz. <laughs> I feel like because I've never actually heard the name Sherwood. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So besides the hockey stick company, you know what I mean? Exactly. Or the hockey gear company, I should say. Uh, the series synopsis is the misadventures of a large family united when a widower and a widow marry. And then the episode synopsis is, uh, when two widowed people get married, both of their families and their housekeeper become one. Oh, that's so nice. So a little bit on my creator's history. Sherwood Schwartz. He was born November 14th, 1916 in Passaic, I should have learned how to pronounce that word, New Jersey to a Jewish family. His parents were Herman and Rose Schwartz, and he was the younger brother of writer Al Schwartz and the older brother of comedy writer Elroy Schwartz. Um, His career in... So he's got an interesting cycle um, of his life. He, as I was telling you earlier, and I don't know if that'll make the cut, but I watched an interview on him because his information was kind of his written information on Wikipedia and other sources was kind of not over substantiating as far as like what or corroborating is probably the better word of like what was true and what wasn't. So instead I decided to take most of the information from an interview that he did with the television Academy. Um, And I actually didn't see when the, when it came out, but he did pass away already. So it came out at least he passed away, I think in 2011. So it came out well before then. Um, so a lot of this information is straight from his mouth and they'll all have a lot of quotes about it Anyway, so his career in the film or in the entertainment industry in general Came as he describes by accident So he went to nyu pre-med with the desire to become a doctor And then in that interview, he talked about how he was told that if he wanted to become a doctor slash get into medical school He should change his name to sherwood black because as he was as he quoted There were too many Jewish doctors at the time, so they were cutting back on accepting them into medical schools, which is just wildly interesting to me. Um, Unwilling to change his name, he started to try to find other ways to get into medical school. He was told that if he had gotten a second degree, he had a better chance of getting in. So that led him to go to uh, USC in Southern California to get him a master's in science, a master's of science in biology. After getting his master's in 1938, he got an interview with the Dean of Medicine at Flowers Medical School in New York. But before going out to New York, uh, he had about a month of free time. He wanted to stay in Los Angeles during that time. So while he was there, he needed some money. So he asked his brother Al, who was a head writer on Bob Hope's radio show at the time, if he could write some jokes for 5 or $10 a joke, which this is during the re- uh, the recession, the depression, sorry, the depression still, Um so, like, $5, $10 a joke is a lot of money at this time. I mean, honestly, it's a lot of money for anybody that has quite literally no experience in the entertainment world writing jokes for someone. But um, so he wrote some jokes for Bob Hope. Uh, Bob liked them and used them on his show. He did that for about two or three weeks while waiting to go back to New York. But he never actually got paid for any of the jokes. Instead because Bob liked the joke so much, he actually offered uh, Sherwood a seven-year contract. And in that same interview, he talked about how the contract didn't actually matter because back then, it was like a really calmer, common practice in like standard contracts that every 13 weeks you could be fired. Like it didn't, so it's like... Weird. Yeah, it was really weird. And I I would kind of want to do some more research on it, but I'm like, apparently back then, and like he said standard contracts, I don't know if he meant that as in standard entertainment industry contracts or what but like in general he was like yeah he offered me a seven-year contract but he could fire me every 13 weeks if he wanted to so it's interesting Hmm. yeah (laughs) um he then said uh so he was kind of talking at this point he was talking with bob hope and bob hope's agent um and he basically said to bob hope's agent whose name was Jimmy. He was like, listen, I'm still like, I still am fully intending to go to medical school. Like I appreciate this offer, but I have like an interview to try and get into this medical school and all that stuff. So Bob Hope's agent went and talked to Bob Hope and basically Bob Hope was like, all right, so let's work out a different kind of deal. So Bob Hope was like, it was, he basically offered him a separate contract. So it was for $50 a week, And Bob signed the contract and said that he was going to England for the summer. And that if by the end of the summer, Sherwood hadn't gotten into medical school, then Sherwood could sign it and be a part of like Bob Hope's writing cast, which is just like Hmm. this is so intriguing to me because it's so drastic. It's it's before television even existed. So it's like it or like I should say television was like a strong medium at this point. Right. It wasn't. No, I would say it doesn't matter either way. It's an impressive like it's just impressive that his jokes were as that good that Bob Hope was like, Well listen, I mean, if you don't get into medical school, I like your jokes enough. Here's a contract, I'll sign it. If you really want like if you don't get into medical school and you really want to come back and work with us, great. You have the opportunity. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So Sherwood went to his interview where the dean asked him why would why do you want to be a doctor? He brought up the contract that Bob Hope had given him and said that he would tear it up right there that's how badly he wanted to be a doctor. And at the time, I like Bob Hope's radio show was like either number 1 or number 2 in the country, so it's like people knew who he was and how big a deal that was that he had just a signed contract by Bob Hope. Um yeah. the dean, Jeez. right? The dean then showed him the American Medical Association list of how many Jewish people were allowed to be in there, were allowed to uh, be in the medical school in his class. Of the class that was a hundred people, only ten were allowed to be Jewish. No way. Way. So That's like crazy, he was experiencing a, a level of uh, prejudice just against the sheer fact that there were too many Jewish doctors at the time, and that they weren't even allowed to like have more than. 10 people in a class of 100 be like even attempt to practice like to learn to become a doctor which is just wild to me like when I was listening (laughs) to this interview with him I was like holy shit that's crazy yeah yeah that was just it's just crazy to me and like listening to his interview was just wild I'm like wow he just like (laughs) he experienced it from so early on like that if he was jewish and trying to become a doctor he couldn't without like a legacy that was another thing he was saying he was like unless you had a doctor or a dad who was already a doctor or you know a dad that worked for a hospital or anything like that unless you had like a legacy or or an, an in already the odds of you getting into medical school were just as a jewish person back in this time were just not possible um so an ill oh, and also apparently of the people That they were already looking at for the candidates, like for this class, six of them, six of the Jewish people there were, I think there were several uh, Jewish people that had um, applied, but six of them already had parents in the medical world. So those six were inevitably going to get into the school no matter what. So then that just made his chances even lower. Um, It's just crazy to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's insane.
0: It's wild to think, but this this is back in 1938. So it's just wild. Anyway, so he was he received a telegram some time passed after the interview, and then he received a telegram that said he was the first alternate for the school, meaning that if someone dropped out, he would be accepted. So then they told him to wait for a second telegram for further notice, which never came and <laughs> never ended up coming at all. So he ended up going and working for the Bob Hope radio show uh, after working on the Bob Hope show for a couple of years. He actually went into the army he did his basic training, and then literal hours before he was supposed to be shipped out, he received new orders to be a writer for the Armed Forces Radio, which is pretty awesome. Because he's like, in the interview, he was talking about how he had to do all this training. And he's like, I'm just a writer, but I'll try. <laughs> it was just the way he...
1: So he's Robin
0: Williams. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, except for that's Vietnam, and this is World War II. So. Um, he wrote several shows that aired on the Armed Forces Radio, Fun fact, and this is something about your creator. Um, in the interview with the Television Academy, Academy, he was uh, Sherwood was recounting people that he worked with while in the Armed Forces Radio, and one of them was actually Jess uh, Oppenheimer, who I believe is one of the creators or the creator of "I Love Lucy." Um,
1: um yeah, that's uh, well, I didn't get into it. the creator. I'll get into it.
0: You get into it. Either way, I saw, I just did a very brief, like, they, in the interview, they were like, oh, like, who went on to do I, I Love Lucy? And then I looked up, like, a IMDb, and it said the little writer-creator next to it. So mm-hmm. you'll get into that, but I just found that interesting. I was like, oh, what a fun, like, little crossover that who knew would have existed. Anyway, so then he went on to work on the radio show Ozzy, the radio shows Ozzy and Harriet, and then Beula, Bi- Bi- I think is how you pronounce it. Um, in 1949, his brother and him actually were developing a radio show for Procter and Gamble, which is the multinational consumer goods corporation. They own like Charmin Ultra and stuff at the time that didn't exist, but like they've been around since like the 1800s. So big, big company. Um, something that I found interesting is that Sherwood was saying that at the time networks had nothing to do with entertainment. It was all run by the advertising agencies and sponsors. Which is just so crazy to think about now. Like if you really were like, oh yeah, like Target runs the, my favorite show is on the Target network. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, I'm just like, that's crazy to think about. But anyway, I digress. So The show was actually, so the show that him and his brother had been working on for Procter and Gamble was actually Greenlit. And then at the last minute, Procter and Gamble Gamble decided to take their money and invest it into television instead. Damn. And in the interview, Sherwood was like, that single incident is what made me want to switch mediums from radio into television. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, The first television show Sherwood actually worked on was in 1953, and it was called I Married Joan. Um, I'm not we're not doing that show so I didn't really go into it so he worked on a lot of TV shows Um, he created an entirely different show I'm going to do like very basic some of them I'm not even going to talk about them at all and others I'm just going to like kind of glaze through because this is about the Brady Bunch and not about the other shows he worked on so the first television show he worked on was in 1953 and it was called I Married Joan um, there was a lot of cool stuff in that interview that I mentioned, and I think that I, we should actually put the, I have the link to it and I figured we could put it in the description of the podcast. So if people wanted to actually learn more, about he has a crazy cool part of his life that I just can't cover in this because it has nothing to do with the Brady Bunch. Um, so if anybody would like that, we'll put that in the description so that you yeah. can find those this interviews. This podcast and,
1: requires homework, so.
0: <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> Um, anyway, so he went on to work on the shows, the red skeleton hour, which was a comedy theme variety show. And then Mr. And Mrs., which I I didn't even try to find what that was. But then he actually went on to create the show Gilligan's Island, which I did not know when we depict these shows. Um, like I was just saying, there's a ton of information on Gilligan's Island in that interview. And if you want to see it, we'll put the description in there, but we're not doing that show. So I'm going to move on. Um, Gilligan's Island was actually canceled after three seasons, which is crazy because I feel like most people think of that and are like, oh, that show was on for fucking ever. And you're like, no, it just had a very <laughs> it's had a very lasting impact. Like it,
1: it had a short run, but it reran for a long time. It
0: I reran think. for a long time. And it's in a, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so he did that for three seasons and then he went on to create the show. It's about time, which was honestly this show i want to go and watch this show it only lasted a single season um but he described it as the timing the the whole reason it failed was because the timing was off when they came out with it this show came out like i think he said two or three years prior to john glenn landing on like prior to the whole moon thing and like john glenn and all that before like astronauts were like doing things that we actually thought were possible you know what i mean like before you actually had the moon landing and all that stuff like he made a show about astronauts breaking the time barrier and like doing all these cool things and he's like it's people just didn't get it because the concept of it was so outlandish at the
1: time i can get that though i yeah. fully understand that
0: one in his interview he was like honestly if this show had come out like the same year as the moon landing or anything like that i bet it would have done really well and I'm like, honestly, timing is everything. Yeah, seriously. And I believe it. Um. Anyway, so finally moving on. All of that stuff that he's done his entire life leading up to this moment that we're about to talk about. The creation of the show, The Brady Bunch. Or as I said earlier, The Brady Brunch. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, The Brady Brunch would be good. Just It's the same show, but it's all breakfast foods.
0: I mean, I don't know how someone hasn't created a restaurant. Oh,
1: I mean, probably just legal issues, right?
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. So let's just get into kind of the genesis and creation of the Brady Bunch now. So the idea of the show was created after Schwartz read something for uh, something from a small excerpt in the L.A. Times that said, and this is in his words in that same interview. It said 30 percent of all marriages also include a child from either one or both of the parents. So that meant to him that shows like Leave it to Beaver didn't really relate to one third of the families in the United States. Oh, yeah. In his mind. He's like, so this opened up an entire, in his words, a good Pandora's box of storytelling because it just is an entirely different scenario of family that can still be relatable to, to like the average family as well as a family like who the Brady Bunch end up being. So... He then actually, crazy enough, not long after that, he had, uh, not long after reading that little excerpt, he had a real life situation where his daughter had a kid in her school whose like parents, like literally had that situation. Like it was very similar. Like his mom married another guy that had other kids and like he was dealing with some kind of issue with it. And basically sherwood was like holy shit this is real he's like it's not just something i read this is like fully holy shit shit, we got him but like you know what i mean like he's like this isn't just something i read that's like in a in an article this is this thing that a real life scenario has just presented itself that's uh, like actually happening so for the first time in his career um he decided to that he wasn't gonna just present the idea for the show to networks he um He was saying the reason he didn't want to just present the ideas because he didn't want them to think that he was making another Gilligan's Island or About Time. The comedy in this show was going to be drastically different from those. And so he decided that the only way he could actually show what he wanted to make was by writing the pilot script, which is like funny because it's like nowadays... When you're trying to sell a show, it's almost like you should have a script ready. It's like you pitch the idea, but then they're going to want to read it's a script like- before you can even. <laughs> but at the time, like you just pitch an idea and then it works like, yeah, let's give it a try, I guess. Yeah. You know, so this was like the first time where he was like, I, I can't His describe TV this comedy. So
1: new. Yeah.
0: Oh, this, I mean, right, this is describing the.
1: Describing.
0: Yeah. This is the, the, the early mode. years of TV. So. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote a script, wrote a pilot script. The first place he went with the script was NBC. Um, they they said they loved it except for they didn't like the ending And he was like well that's the part I love the most and they were like so you won't change so, it And he, oh, was, no, like, no. he was like
1: no um, <laughs> Well that's on you because this is fucking Gold this
0: is gold you idiots But basically yeah he was like I'm not changing it and they were like alright Well then we're gonna have to pass so then he went to ABC Who also loved it but this was at the time that television had just moved into longer form episodes, which he was saying they moved into like hour and a half to two hour episodes. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was a fucking thing. So I didn't do a whole lot. I didn't well, not a whole lot. I did no research on it. Um, But basically, their biggest thing was that they loved the concept of it. They just wanted it to be longer because they wanted to fit this longer form of television storytelling. And he was like, OK, yeah, I mean, I can I can do something like before they meet like to show or like to show how they meet and like how you kind of meet the kids and then how they get into getting married. And ABC was like, no, we want like the exact same script just longer. And he's like, well, I can't make scenes longer without it just being Mm. dull and boring.
1: (laughs) That's not how this works. And he's
0: like, I'm happy to like add to the story and like lead into it. And they're like, no, no, no. We want the exact same script. We want to start with the wedding. We just want all of it longer. And he's like, no, no, (laughs) <laughs> that'll just i'm not making scenes longer just to make them longer there's no point to it it doesn't add anything yeah and so he was like no fuck this shit i'm out <laughs> so then he went and took the script to cbs who also loved it and in the interview it was really funny he's like all three of these networks love this script they just had one issue with it and each one was different so CB- cbs also loved it um But they wanted what he called and I've never actually heard this term what he called the seventh slice as the pilot episode, which is basically wanting the show to start after they're already married without any premise, no information. So it's like you just start in like, oh, I see the seventh, you know, step of their story. Like, where are the kids already? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just you have no premise, no information leading you into like how these two met and why there's like all these children and that kind of thing.
1: It's funny because show like I can certainly see like shows. Like, I mean, there's definitely shows like that that sort of start, and then you learn the sort of backstory by watching their lives and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's like,
0: but I think at like the,
1: there's it's that hot. like you don't have the you don't show the backstory, but it exists, and so they just allude to it in ways that eventually you you piece it together yourself. So I've I feel like I've seen shows like that.
0: Oh, for sure. I've Never
1: heard that term though.
0: I've so never heard the term. Especially because it's, like, I think the biggest thing for him is he was, like, he's, like, "I, I want this, like, I think you need the premise for this to, like, actually connect with people. Otherwise, it just looks like a family, a family with a lot of kids. Like, you don't get, if you don't have that information that, like, they both had three three different children, right? Or three, you know, three girls, three boys and both are totally fraternal twins. twins. No, but like you know what I mean? In his mind he was like, no, like you I feel like you need this information so that people can the people that I'm actually trying to reach and like connect with that thirty percent of Americans that are in this situation or American families, I should say, that are in this situation like this, that pilot episode needs to be there because you need that premise so they can relate to it. Anyway, they were like, no, (laughs) I don't. We don't want that. We want you to do a Seventh Slice episode. And basically, all in all, the biggest thing that Sherwood learned from this is that he's not changing it. So he just stuck to his gut. In the interview, he actually said, (laughs) he goes, here's the wonderful thing that happens. Almost every year, half the executives get fired. So the next year, I went back to the same three networks and talked to three different people. Gives you another chance. I just thought that was hilarious because I'm like, okay. That's so funny. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Fine. None of these executives like it. Fuck it. I'll go back in a year. I mean, yeah.
1: Well, you're like, I mean, well, I I, I have patience. I can wait until you're fired. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I can wait until you're gone. I'll come back for the next guy because he'll like my story exactly so somebody will like it
0: so it's pretty funny he went back the next year same kind of stuff happened there were certain things they didn't like about it each of the three networks so then he went back for a third year in a row so we're now in 1968 um the movie yours mine and ours with lucille ball and henry fonda had just come out that year and was essential it's i don't know if you've seen the one with um dennis quaid
1: i've seen the one with uh yeah, I've seen that one.
0: Yeah, so it's the same. That's just a remake. So this is the original, The Yours, Mine, and Ours, and it's like two mm-hmm. parents get married. They have a fuck ton of kids on either side of them. And basically, it that is like one of the reasons it helped him be able to sell it. So ABC essentially called him after that came out and were like, okay, we'll do it your way. Like, we'll we'll do it the way you want to do it. Because they essentially, in, uh, in the interview, um, Sherwood was like, they essentially had gotten the hour and a half pilot that they wanted me to make. So I didn't have to make it <laughs> by that movie. Like yeah. the movie coming out, <laughs> they got the yeah. idea and the concept and, and the movie did really, really well. So they knew it could be sold. So right. basically ABC was we'll like, really all right, go. fine, we'll do it your way. That's fine. Whatever. Um, and it was just you know, interesting because we'll <laughs> the interviewer in that interview was like, wow. So you just had a lot of determination and belief. And he's like, yeah, I mean, you have to have determination, staying power, and belief in what you're trying to create, and it, it'll happen eventually. And that's like, I mean, yeah, that's proof. like three years since the like pilot that he wrote until he actually got the show, which is just crazy. It's, it's that's, very yeah, impressive. I mean,
1: that's real persistence because oh, fuck, I always forget the show that we did that was like, oh, we were about to pack it up and we were going to be done and i did the show so it's my fault for not remembering <laughs> it. um but he was like i mean like we did this for a month straight just day after day after oh, day
0: oh yeah what was that show now uh, I
1: and we were about to just pack it up and be done with it and then at the final freaking draft or at the final pitch like yeah pitch they interview. Took it.
0: i can't remember what show that was
1: god it it pisses me off that i can't remember because it's so interesting
0: yeah well and i'll find you're garbage, it garbage sure, so. but yeah uh
1: but yeah when i'll you, like you keep you keep doing you i'll i'll take a look back through our, some of our episodes and see if i can find it
0: okay i mean other than that i really don't have much more else uh, much more else more at uh, much more i'm just going to go with much more um i don't have much more uh just like some things i kind of found interesting so the actors Um, for some reason, and I I don't know, he might've said it in the interview, but for the casting process, he had to actually start by casting the kids. The biggest thing he knew is that he wanted three blonde kids and three brunette kids. And then the parents had to like match that. Um, so it was either three blonde kids, three blonde girls with a blonde mom or three blonde boys with a blonde dad and vice versa. Um, Unfortunately, he had to cast the kids first, so he instead of just casting the six kids that he needed, he actually had to cast 12 different children until he was able to cast the parents. Can you imagine as a child and, like, as the parents of those children being like, oh, my God, we have a chance of being in this show? And then, like, they're like, oh, sorry, the mom's blonde. All you brunette children, oh, like, girls, yeah. get out of here. <laughs> like,
1: my God damn.
0: it's crazy. I mean, um, that's the
1: sort of, like, thing about casting families right mm-hmm. you, you, they gotta look like family
0: <laughs> well and it's like hair color doesn't necessarily matter but because the whole concept of this show was this idea that it was a woman with her own three children and a man with his own three children like having that distinctive yeah. difference just helps
1: oh yeah no i i i, I agree with their decision i you, no, i, I know i'm just do. Like it sucks for those (laughs) six kids that got cast, but
0: not cast.
1: (laughs) Right. But like, that's like, I I think the decision had to be made. Yeah. I I think ultimately it was the right. one. Well,
0: it's just a bummer that because he had to do the casting of the kids first, that happened. So he wasn't able to do the casting of the parents before the kids. So I didn't fully understand why, but that was just a thing that happened. So. Um, another interesting fact, supposedly Robert Reed was always trying to find something logically wrong about the script. So I guess in the the one of the episodes they have, uh, it's like to teach the kids a lesson. Mr. Brady decides to get a payphone and put it in their house, which so then that as they have to make phone calls, they have to use their own money to make the phone call. Apparently that's illegal except for mm. in very particular circumstances. So you're not allowed to put a payphone in your home, supposedly, except for in specific states and specific cities of those states. That's around so the mean. time he was writing this, uh, around the time Sherwood was writing the script for that episode, he had just heard about some, I don't know, multi-millionaire guy that had, that whenever he has guests over, they have to use a payphone if they want to call anyone, which is so fucked up because it's like, you're rich. Like, the rich, that's why the rich do you care? Rage. Yeah that's what that's what fucking Sherwood said to he was like yeah maybe that's how he's still so, how he was so rich and he stayed rich I don't know but it was funny because basically that guy's house was in Santa Monica California so I guess after Robert Reed had read the script he like called up Sherwood and he was like hey so where do the Brady's live and like to kind of drag this out he was like Sherwood was like in California. And he's like, well, I know they live in California, but where do they live in California? He goes, well, Southern California. And he's like, well, I know they live in Southern California, but where in Southern California? And he goes, well, the LA area. And he goes, I know in the LA area, but like where in the LA area? And then Sherwood just goes, they live in Santa Monica. And he just, Hey, I guess he just like hung up the phone. Like he made an angry noise and just hung up the phone. <laughs> because he couldn't like nitpick this one thing and it's like interesting because he's like he didn't like overly care like he cared about story and making the story good but he didn't he wouldn't overly complain about that stuff yeah however something interesting he's uh robert reed is not in the final episode of the brady bunch like the literal serious finale because i guess he had called uh sherwood and thought the story was ridiculous um wow and it had to do with like i haven't seen it so i don't know but it had to do with the fact that one of the boys is selling like hair care products and he sells it to one of the older boy one, one of the other boys and one of the other boys uses it and it turns his hair like green or something and i guess oh, this shooting. was something that was just actually happening like the product like sure would actually called the company and was like is this something that actually happens and he's like we on a daily basis getting multiple lawsuits coming through our door because of this (laughs) so like he knew it was real but apparently robert reed was like no this is ridiculous that doesn't happen and and like no matter what information he presented him with he would like like sherwood presented robert reed with he was yeah he's just like it's ridiculous so basically (laughs) sherwood was like well honestly he's not in a lot of you know scenes. He only has like maybe two or three scenes. I can just change it out. So he essentially Sherwood wrote him out of the final script. And because <laughs> like of this fluffy, and it's like in I my mind mean. I'm like I mean that's for five, I think it ran I think it's uh it ran for 5 years and he's like that's a long time to be dealing with that bullshit. Seriously. And honestly it's like okay, yeah like i'm just going to write you out Fine. dude you don't like, get a finale <laughs> well he was i don't think they knew it was going to be the finale at the time but like sherwood basically called like his agent i guess called robert reed's agent called sherwood and was like well so what's going on here and he's like oh you he doesn't have to work today like he doesn't need to come in or anything he just he can have the day off and they were like what do you mean he's like he's not in the script and he was like you <laughs> wrote him out and he's like well he said he didn't want to be in it so <laughs> he's like that's not what he said he said you had to change the script and he's like i did so that he didn't have to be in it i'm not changing <laughs> I did, my story
1: I did change the script <laughs>
0: yeah so
1: that's so it's just, funny i love that yeah petty shit
0: yeah but then one final just interesting fact so uh when they were shooting the pilot episode um they actually shot the wedding scene first um where they're actually being married by you know you know do you take this woman blah 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 mm-hmm. all that stuff um after they shot that scene florence henderson who played mrs brady went to schwartz and said that no man kisses like that he ain't straight and schwartz (laughs) was like (laughs) schwartz was like stated that's uh he said straight or not i don't really care none of it's obvious you guys have great chemistry it's not my business like I, i don't whatever's going on in his personal life is that his his business and that's fine um And apparently, I I, everything I found is that Robert Reed never actually came out when he was alive, and it came out much later that he was actually gay. Mm -hmm. Um, But which is really sad because then it's just like he just unfortunately didn't get to live the life that he should have gotten. He should have been able to live. Um, But it's just so interesting that like she Florence Henderson from the very first time they kissed, the only like like the first scene in the first episode that they like shot they kiss and she's like he's not straight (laughs) and she's like i don't have an issue with it but like did you know she's like i was just shocked i didn't know um and then they they kept that secret for fucking ever um it sounds like most of the cast ended up knowing after a certain point but again no one really cared and but they also were like that's not an excuse for you to act like an asshole too so
1: as far as the public knows he never officially came out
0: uh, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, And I didn't do a whole lot of research into it. It's just unfortunate that like...
1: Yeah, it is unfortunate.
0: Uh, back then, he just... He didn't but
1: also live in a world where... That she would be able to... You know,
0: from a single kiss, yeah.
1: Did he have... A... Did he have like... Did he marry? Did he have a wife?
0: He did have... A, he had a wife and a daughter and then he uh, divorced from his wife not long after mm-hmm. uh, their daughter was born. Um, mm, Yeah, so... Unfortunate, but poor. Sadly, I was gonna say poorly. Sadly, much of the world goes through those phases of not believing in that stuff and and not allowing it to even be legal. So sad and unfortunate. But yeah, that that is the uh, that's the Brady Bunch for you. I didn't uh, brain do brain any brain. research actually on how the pilot was received or what shows came out at the time, which is crazy for me. <laughs> That's crazy. But true. I figured I had a lot of fucking information on everything else, so a lot we were good. Of information.
1: <laughs> you had so. you had more than enough information because you had some information on my.
0: This show, is true. Very so little though, teeny teeny. Fuck you. Fuck you. Although it
1: Very doesn't teeny. actually interfere with my research at all. Good. Um, for interesting reason that I'll get into, but um, first we should probably wrap up superlatives let's do that Superlatives.
0: let's do it um my favorite character was alice oh i my just favorite favorite like alice. Character was mike <laughs> that's fair i do <laughs> like mike but i just love alice she's just like she's my favorite in the movie and like this is one thing where it's hard for me to like dis disassociate the two but like i love her in the 1990- 1990 separate separate yeah sorry <laughs> you disassociate can't use a big word two. and use it wrong Um, no, I just, I really enjoyed Alice. There's not much more to it. I just like, I think she's a good comedic relief. I enjoy her, like how she's just, I just enjoy her. That's all I got. All right.
1: I mean, I thought I just like Mike's character. I, I didn't feel it's so easy to make like just like the husband slash father be sort of, um, I don't know, like rude, like, like in, like not intimate in a way like to just write him in such a way that makes it seem like he's gotta be manly. He's gotta be like, he can't be like vulnerable at all like or emotional. So I just, I just like that. I like his character because he's not this, like he, he can be manly, but he's like not this super manly like character. I don't know. I don't know how Mm -hmm. else to say it, but that's, yeah, he's, he's just written in such a way that makes it feel more realistic.
0: That's fair. I do like him. He's not like, yeah, he's not super. Yeah, It's so funny because it's like I forgot to do my superlatives after I watched the episode and I ended up doing them after I did my research. So I think part of me, like after all the information about Robert Reed, I like couldn't pick Mike for that.
1: Oh, yeah. I see. I know what you mean.
0: I mean, I think I still probably would have picked Alice either way. But
1: yeah. But yeah. But did you pick him as your least favorite character?
0: I didn't, actually. I didn't pick a least favorite character. Oh, me neither.
1: I could not I figure couldn't... out a character. There was not a character in this episode. Yeah, in this particular think, episode. Oh, I don't like you.
0: And there's not enough time spent with a lot of them. Yeah. Just in general, because it's like it's a what, it's like a twenty-five minute episode <laughs> and you have uh what? You got the six kids, the parents, eight, nine. You have nine principal cast.
1: And then the (laughs) two parents, the two older parents, the grandparents.
0: Yeah, but even then you don't, like, spend much time with them. No, you don't, but as far as
1: just people you would spend enough time with to make, like, an estimate on Mm -hmm. or, like, a personality judgment on.
0: Yeah, I didn't didn't take any issue with anyone.
1: Me neither. Um... Did you have? Favorite part? I assume you had a favorite part
0: I did have a favorite part Um, I just like the fact that they When they're getting ready to go to the wedding The boys and they bring the dog in And they're like you can't bring the dog And they're like Well Alice is coming
1: <laughs> They're like
0: yeah but she's family And they're like well Tiger's family too And it's like <laughs> you guys Deadass just compared your <clears throat> Fucking like Alice
1: oh, To a dog Dude that's like
0: what so
1: funny yeah that that part was hilarious because yeah i had the same thought like did you just say like why can't the dog come our housemate is coming
0: <laughs> yeah like literally i'm like you just full on compared a, a human being <laughs> that takes care of you to your dog oh, which listen God. i love dogs and dogs are humans to me but like in that moment i was like this is that's just hilarious
1: yeah. your dog will be your best man at your wedding for sure
0: my best man. <laughs> <laughs> Louise, like, for sure, your best man. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. My least favorite part is just like the goofy moment where and then know it's like I know it's an error like an era thing. And like when the show came out, I just hate how long they linger on the parents when they're trying to do them reminiscing back at the as they yell at their kids. And I'm like, we couldn't have like sped this part up. <laughs> like we didn't need to sit on them for like silence for like three seconds and then have the audio come in. It was oh, just yeah. like I mean, such an awkward moment that just didn't really work point. for me. But
1: yeah, um, I I didn't get to say my favorite part. But
0: um, <clears throat> oh, sorry.
1: <laughs>
0: I thought you had agreed.
1: My no, man. I thought you were. I, had I liked that then. part. It was not my favorite part. I my, apologies, my favorite, what was your part favorite part was the um, uh, little boy. Uh, putting away his picture of his mom. Oh yeah, and the the conversation that um him and his dad have about like, hey, it's okay, you know, like your your new mom will want you to remember her just as much as you want to remember her.
0: Yeah, and that, that was like just
1: sort of sweet moment. That was like, no, there because again, in in a lot of media, step parents can be very like seen as very intrusive. Like, I'm your new parent, mm-hmm. like like this isn't about your old parent like yeah can be seen as very aggressively wanting to be the new parent and stuff and like just like that small portrayal that like no this is this is a happy like this is what is going to be a happy family like there's no reason to believe that like there will be any sort of um evil stepmother vibes yeah or evil stepmother vibes or evil stepfather vibes yeah vice
0: versa. I mean because both are fully aware of the loss yeah, right exactly yeah
1: fair
0: so,
1: well, I since I already well said my Oh, sorry oh yes yes my least
0: favorite would you like to say yours?
1: I'll also go on to my least favorite part. My least favorite part was not the part that you're saying, but the the actual part where they're getting mad at the kids mm. because I was mm-hmm. on the kids side and then ultimately the side that they find is that like the kids didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Like they put the car in the in the they put the dog in the car and he rolled the windows down.
0: Yeah, that's not our fault that our dog is a fucking genius, bro.
1: Like that's and it's look, and it's not our fault that you said it's not their fault that you said you were gonna put the cat in their room and then the cat was in a i cat like that the cat has like a cat house food. yeah
0: that's what i was thinking as well what i thought it was so funny is like we don't want to make the cat be inside it's like well one it's a fucking cat two a a bedroom that's for three children is plenty big for a cat to like be in yeah. for a few hours like it's yeah, not they show gonna... that
1: room later in the in the episode yeah that room definitely big enough for a cat it's to huge. hang out in for during a wedding
0: yeah, it's like that's not like torturing the animal. The cat's just gonna fucking sleep. What's torturing an animal is leaving a dog in a car.
1: Yeah, so. they did crack the window for the dog though.
0: Yeah, well then he you cracked. say, it the put rest the roof the up,
1: cracked the window. I also like I that, know, like still. little little commentary, like yeah, like the, the thoughtful
0: things, just the moments where yeah, you're, the
1: little, the tiny thoughtfulness on both sides, on all mm-hmm. sides. I thought was the very, attention to detail. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice.
0: I feel that. I feel that.
1: So um given all that, what did you what did you rate this episode?
0: I actually rated this six. I very much enjoyed it. And yeah. I can truly see myself putting it on. Like I don't know that I'll watch it a whole lot, but I can totally see like putting this on in the background, just having like goofy sixties and seventies comedy.
1: Yeah, I can And just see kinda it.
0: like learning from the storytelling aspect of it.
1: Totally. And I think for the most part, the episode at least holds up as far as like the, mm-hmm. the comedy and the um like, like I can't speak for the rest of the show, but like there, there didn't seem to be any sort of like, I, I don't want to call it politics, but like, like there was no commentary, like social commentary, like, the, like, it like it holds up in that fact, right? Yeah. Like there's no social commentary being had around the show in any way.
0: Yeah. No, I feel that. that like allowed, the commentary is that these families exist and they care about mm-hmm. each other. Like Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh yeah. so I gave it 5 out of 7 um nice. because I probably wouldn't turn it on, but that same That's thing fair. if it was on I would watch it. So if if I if you and I were hanging out and you decided to watch it, I wouldn't be like no, let's not watch that.
0: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right.
1: I will say, I think it's very, like, I never, we never had anything in mind when we started rating things with these, this out of seven rating. Mm-hmm. But the more we rate stuff, the more concrete, I guess, the more concrete the rating system becomes in that, like, a seven is this, a six is this, a five is this, and so on.
0: Yeah. I mean, and honestly, like, a lot of that's happened in this most recent season.
1: That's true. Like, even
0: last season, when we ranked stuff, it was kind of a, a little bit quirky yeah and then kind of this last season we've been a lot more mindful of the fact that it's like you know this is why it's a six this is why it's a five like I would watch it if I like if I felt like putting it on or like my parents put it on I'd watch it but
1: yeah like we've definitely become more of a like yeah it's become more accurate like we've become more mindful of what actually is a three when we say it's a three What does that mean to us? And we explain it every time.
0: Yeah, I mean it's It's still fully opinion based, and it has no actual like.
1: (laughs) And it's still a meme. One
0: hundred percent. Yeah.
1: So tell me, Chloe, as we move on, what do you know about the show I Love Lucy?
0: Um. So I know a little bit. Mostly. So the first, my first experience with I Love Lucy, I was shown the classic, uh, chocolate, like candy, um assembly line bit Mm -hmm. that's like the first like memory of i love lucy that i remember ever seeing but then recently i watched that uh nicole kidman uh show that they did for like lucille ball which Mm -hmm. i found really interesting so like i don't remember exactly stuff from that but like if you watch that show you know the information that like how lucille ball and desi arnaz were like together and all this stuff so yeah but like that's, yeah, totally. the, I don't know anything about like the actual creators and all, and like how the show actually came to be because that Nicole Kidman thing takes place like on their like later seasons. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's that's yeah, the extent I'm, of my Lucille or I mean, Lucy. I love Lucy info.
1: Yeah, that's um that's more than me. Um, I, I mean, I wrote down Lucy, uh, <laughs> black and white, and that chocolate conveyor scene. Mm-hmm. That's like got to be is, the most famous scene from yeah, I it's, Love Lucy, it's right? Me, I mean, it's most famous, I would argue definitely the most famous scene from I Love Lucy. Probably one of the most iconic scenes of all time. Of All time television. 100%, yeah. Because it's redone and reimagined so many different times. Very true. Like I mean, you've seen it in just just about any I mean, sitcom SNL definitely has did done something. A, has done a variation on that. Like mm-hmm. just off the top of my head, Family Guy's done it. Uh yeah. Drake and Josh did it. SNL like those three, just like without any, <laughs> without literally doing any research into any of those, any yeah. of
0: those things. I'm sorry, just real quick, because of the way <clears throat> you said that. Have you seen the movie Grandma's Boy? Yes. The way you said that is like how Nick Swartzen talks about uh, <laughs> the chick that the one of the grandmas that he sleeps with, and he's like, she's seen a lot of shit go down. World <laughs> War One, World War Two, Tupac. Like <laughs> the way you listed that off the top of my head, family guy, family guy. Uh, <laughs> Drake, Drake and Josh, SNL, <laughs> just the way you listed. It was so funny. World I'm World so I. sorry.
1: World War, World II. War II. Tupac. Tupac.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about, I love Lucy. Tell me that, like, I know you didn't know much, but now what do you know?
1: What have I learned? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh the, Uh, Title of the first episode is The Girls Want to Go to a Nightclub. It originally aired on October 15th, 1951 on CBS. And if you want to go watch it, you can watch it with a subscription to Paramount Plus uh, with premium subscriptions to YouTube uh, on YouTube and Amazon Prime Video, which usually means like if you uh, have like a cable subscription service, Um, I don't know which subscription service it is, but it's like if it's included in one of your cable packages, you can sign in. On one of those sites and watch people it, people still
0: have cable, um, and
1: then it's available for purchase on your general video purchasing apps. Yeah, I know, right? There are people I haven't had still cable, have cable in years, it's been a while. Actually, I just stopped yeah. having cable recently. But, um, um the synopsis uh, for the show is the wife of a band leader constantly tries to become a star in spite of her having no talent and gets herself along with her best friend into the funniest predicaments. And for the episode. To celebrate Ethel and Fred's anniversary, Lucy and Ethel want to go to a nightclub, while Ricky and Fred want to go to a boxing match instead. An argument ensues. Now, the creators, I, you said, uh, Jess Oppenheimer, and I don't want to say that's wrong because when I looked up like who created this show, because on Wikipedia it wasn't clear, um, it didn't really say that there was. Like, a creator. And when I started doing the research on it, um, it seemed more like it was so much more based off of another show that, um, like, it wasn't necessarily created on its own. Uh, okay. So I did my research on Desi Arnaz, one, because it was so interesting, and two, because... Uh, he was sort of the one that they that um, CBS initially came to about having a show. Interesting. Uh, uh, just
0: for reference, I believe it's pronounced Desi. I think. That's oh, a hard, Desi. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, Sorry, yeah. I
1: think I knew that and still pronounced it wrong. Desi Arnaz. Um. So yeah. So like, like you said, Jess Oppenheimer was a head writer on the show. Um, and she was a head writer on the show prior, but this, as far as I could tell. Most of the show's actual creation was just done in really a like a it was really a group effort by like a lot of the same people. So I did research on Desi Arnaz, uh, and a little bit on uh, Lucille Ball. Uh, but I think primarily I'm just going to do the background on Desi Arnaz just because it's so interesting to me in how he got to where he is. Um, so that's sounds what good. The listeners are going to have to deal with <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, But yeah, we'll get into uh, Desi Arnaz's background. Uh, he was born March 2nd, 1917 in Santiago de Cuba in Cuba. Uh, Cuba. Uh, and his father was actually Santiago's youngest mayor. And also, he's apparently a descendant of Cuban nobility. So, like, I, damn, from a relatively important family in Cuba. Uh, However, his family was forced to flee Cuba during the Cuban Revolution of 1933 when a uh, mob attacked and destroyed his family's houses, property, and livestock. And though Desi was able to hop in a car and get away, his father was actually jailed and all of his property was confiscated. Um, uh, Fortunately, his, uh, his uncle, his father's brother, stepped in and intervened. Uh, and after six months spending in, after spending six months in jail, his father was, uh, released and the family then fled to Miami where, uh, like Desi spent the rest of his sort of the remainder of his youth, which there wasn't a ton of time, but he mostly just attended high school there. Uh, the family struggled when they first moved, they had obviously no, no money, um, just completely immigrants uh, into the country. They had to live in a garage that was infested with rats and roaches. Um, and, uh, like, that's just how he spent the rest of his formative years growing up in high school, um, which sucks. Like, like I mean, I, I don't know.
0: I mean, yeah, that's not... Like, it's
1: just, yeah, like, that's <laughs> just, like, hearing that just sounds so unfortunate, right?
0: So fucking terrible, yeah.
1: Um, And just, like, but he was... He was he still went to school. After he finished high school, uh Arnaz he formed a band and began sort of making a name for himself in Miami. Um and then eventually would go on to like like his band was really popular. And I this is part of the stuff where it's like I didn't want to pull just every information about like him do him running this band, like, but it was a septet. It was just a seven person like seven person uh musical band mm-hmm. where he would do some singing and some playing. Um, but he would then go on to move to New York and start his uh, own orchestra, uh, which became a, a hit in um, New York City's club scene. And while in New York, uh, as part of this orchestra, he was discovered by um, a duo called Rogers and Hart in 1939, who wanted to cast him in their Broadway musical, Too Many Girls. So, So he, he starts this band after high school, the Septet. Moves to New York, starts an orchestra, and then gets discovered by these. I, I guess they were, I don't know if they were producers or if they were writers for this br- musical. Um, I didn't do a lot of research on them individually, um, Fair. but so he was he was brought in to be um, to be in this Broadway musical, and the musical was a hit, like like just instant hit on Broadway. And like after it's run on Broadway, the movie rights were sold to RKO Pictures. And RKO Pictures invited Arnaz to Hollywood to appear in the movie version, uh, which is how he met Lucille Ball, because Lucille Ball was uh, working with RKO Pictures as part of her uh, as part of her career and was cast in uh, in the role uh, in a a role in that film. Um, So it was sort of just they were brought together for this for this movie that was based on the musical that he was starring in. Uh, and during the film's production, they fell in love and ended up eloping in November of 1940. So they get married. Wow! And then three years later, uh, Arnaz was drafted to the military to fight in World War II, which a lot of people were. We've done research on a lot of writers from this, uh, from around these times of World War One and World War Two, and a lot of them have military Tupac. experience. <laughs> too fuck.
0: i'm so a lot sorry. of them have military
1: experience because they were drafted and obviously it was an all hands on deck sort of sort of situation um but then arnaz injured both of his knees one prior to enlisting and one after enlist- enlisting and so he was classified for limited service so it became his job to keep injured soldiers entertained during their recovery in hospital which is why i thought it was really interesting that your creator did the radio for uh, the soldiers, because I'm thinking, oh, that's like Robin Williams' Good Morning Vietnam, and this is like Robin Williams. I mean, it's a different situation, but it's still like another Robin Williams, like entertaining people in a hospital situation. Mm-hmm. In my head, I just thought that was funny. Maybe you didn't find <laughs> it as interesting, so I apologize. I'll, I'll, you can cut it. I guess You're an you an have idiot. all the power. Shut up. You have all I the mean
0: <clears throat> I see the correlation. I I think because they're drastically different wars. my you, mind. Okay.
1: I'm sorry. Fuck you.
0: Have you actually seen Good Morning Vietnam? No. I haven't seen okay. Either that's I mean that's the reason cuz it's like they're very different. The the radio at that time was more like the radio we know kind of nowadays and more like the radio like a little show and like he does some stuff here and there and he'll, he'll do like interviews with himself. Right. Robin Williams. But like, it's not like the radio shows that uh Sherwood was doing was like, like sitcoms and shows and like that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Fuck you. I don't okay. care.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: This was a long shot to begin with, you know, <laughs> Okay. So, fuck (laughs) you. It was his job. It was Arnaz's job to keep the injured soldiers entertained during their recovery in hospital.
0: And that's great. I'm happy. And that's
1: great. And he did such a good job. And then in 1945, two years later, he was discharged. uh, And then he went on to form another orchestra because uh, that was just what his background was in. He loved making music. Um, And in uh, 1951, CBS radio offered to let Arnaz host host a musical game show, um, which was partially an attempt to keep Arnaz uh, and Lucille Ball, that is uh, because they were married at the time to prevent them from taking a competing officer off, uh, sorry, to prevent them from taking a competing offer at NBC and also allowed them to keep Arnaz and Ball in Hollywood instead of touring with his orchestra Um, and so they, they offered to let him host this musical game show where audience members would compete for a Caribbean vacation. Uh, and that game show was just sort of like it aired during 1951 from, uh, like I think it was March ish until the premiere of I love Lucy, which was in the fall of that same year. Oh, wow. So he was already working with CBS. Um, uh, at the time. Uh, but then, so that's sort of Desi Arnaz's background. And like I said, I didn't do a lot of background information on the other writers and creators. And I did a little bit on Lucille Ball because that's sort of where the pilot, like the creation of the actual show, comes in. I mean, um, I was
0: going to say, like, it's literally Lucille.
1: No, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, but so, so here's where it sort of comes from, right? So in 1948, um, Lucille was recruited by CBS to star in two half hour sitcoms called Our Miss Brooks and My Favorite Husband, in which Ball elected to star in the latter My Favorite Husband. Um, and that was written and produced by Jess Oppenheimer. So that's who you were talking about earlier, who's also a major writer on I Love Lucy. Uh, and so that show, which premiered on the radio in 1948, Uh, became a big hit for CBS during its run. And also, oh, sorry, sorry. That that show became a big hit for CBS. And during its run, Ball appeared in two feature films, which were both big successes. And those the success of those films inspired and convinced uh, CBS to further utilize Ball's skill set and put her in front of a camera instead of just on the radio. That's cool. Uh, And so they asked, they asked, Lucille Ball to sort of take my favorite husband to television. And, um, and like they originally wanted her to star in the show with Richard Denning, uh, but Lucille was extremely adamant that her husband be cast in the co starring role instead. So she was extremely adamant that, um, Desi Arnaz be playing her husband.
0: Okay. Uh, I guess and- I'm confused because didn't you say that they came to him about? Did I? Are you? You in the beginning, you said that you kind of covered Desi because they came to him about the creation of the show, a lot, like about doing oh, the show. I, miss,
1: I misspoke. I I covered Desi because his information was extremely interesting to me and his background. Um, so they you came, did say
0: that. It's just at the very beginning Lucille. you kind of
1: okay. They came to Lucille about moving the sh- about like creating this show. Okay, um, all good. I was just curious. Yeah, like, it, it was it was hard for me because it was like it wasn't until I was looking at the information about the pilot after I'd done all the information about Desi Arnaz, uh, about like, about how the pilot sort of came to be and who actually created it because it was still confusing. So I kept Desi Arnaz's information. I just didn't go back and gosh, do a ton gosh. more research on, uh, on Lucille Ball or Jess. Yeah, that's fine.
0: I was just, I was just slightly confused because I, yeah. And honestly, I could have just, no, I apologize. I, if
1: I, if I said that I misspoke,
0: I mean, I apologize also if I just misheard you. So
1: Well, yeah, so he was working he was working with CBS and so was Lucille on mm-hmm. two separate shows. Yeah. CBS came to Lucille, um, about moving my favorite husband to television, uh, and saying, Will you star with Richard Denning? And she was like, Uh, how about my husband, Desi, stars with me instead? And they were like, I don't know, he's Cuban. So they didn't really believe that Americans would buy into an into a marriage between an American and a Latin man. Um, and so to prove the like, network wrong. And uh, we're literally married, bro. <laughs> we're literally what married.
0: What do you have to buy into? Like, we're do, already. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's like, this is already a thing. So... This is a legitimate
0: thing. This isn't, I'm confused. Uh, let's
1: just go with it. Um, but to prove <laughs> to prove them wrong, um, they, they together developed a vaudeville act and uh, performed it in uh, at the Ritz Theater in New York, in Newburgh, New York. Uh, with uh desi's orchestra and the act was a huge hit and convinced the uh, cbs exec harry ackerman that the pairing would be a worthwhile venture uh and additionally uh there were rival networks uh including nbc and abc which were both interested in pu- in pursuing a Ballarnaz series, series uh, which also helped convince ackerman to sign them together so um a pilot was ordered and then uh you know i meant to do research on this word it says a pilot was ordered and kinescoped to ho- in Hollywood in March of 1951. Um based on just context clues, kinescoped sounds to me like it's um a
0: film recording of a television broadcast. So Okay.
1: It was recorded so just, and
0: then li- so it's probably I mean at the time that's probably uncommon cuz most stuff was like
1: most stuff was live. Well,
0: yeah, a lot of it was probably live, so.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. so that's the thing is in um um so when I was looking up other things, uh, there was um, well, I'll get I'll get into it. <laughs> anyway, so the a pilot was ordered and kinescoped in Hollywood in March of nineteen fifty one, and the pilot was eventually brought to several ad agencies, uh, but not a lot. They didn't have a lot of luck until they found Milton H. Bio. Um, this Never. was this was interesting to me because they didn't have to. Go sell the pilot to a network because they already had because it was CBS's idea, right? To sort of mm-hmm. create this television show, but they did need to get it sponsored.
0: Oh, they need money. They needed money essentially.
1: Yeah. Um. So they went out to ad agencies. Uh, Wait, they found sorry, you
0: ad- said you just said the year, but what what was the year?
1: Uh, nineteen
0: fifty one. Okay. I'm just I'm trying to think of like the timeline of that with like Sherwood, and it kind of sounds like not crazy different from the fact that like networks didn't have a whole lot of money in that regard yet. Oh
1: yeah, that's true. Um, well, so ultimately they found uh, an ad agency called Milton H. How. And that ad agency was able to convince uh, the cigarette giant Philip Morris to sponsor the show. So they were sponsored by um, a cigarette company, Philip Morris uh, to help create the show. Um, so the show went into production during the summer of 1951. Uh, with those same writers from um the radio show my favorite husband including uh Jess Oppenheimer um and then I shoot, I didn't write down their first names. Pew and Carol are the last names of the other two writers. Um they weren't I guess they're not as important, obviously to me at least. Maybe to <laughs> maybe to the show. To me not so much I was obviously. gonna say Savage <laughs> To me, not so much. For me, Um, I don't care. (laughs) But they basically used their backlog of episodes from My Favorite Husband that never went on to air on the radio and adapted them for television. Hmm. Um, There were, however, uh, a couple sort of production issues that would arise because Philip Morris had signed on to sponsor the show. Uh, Mm -hmm. One, the show was originally going to air biweekly uh and this was to allow Lucille Ball to continue her film career alongside her television show um uh, but Morris had insisted that the show air weekly so that they could get more um essentially more advertising from it yeah uh and the second being that Philip Morris Philip Morris wanted the series to originate in New York uh and this gets back to the kinescoping because they wanted it to air live to east coast and midwest uh like households and then be kinescoped to the uh, uh, Pacific and Central Division, Central Times, Pacific and Central Times,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is how a lot of shows were done at the time. Uh, so, but um, like, but because Ball was actually pregnant with um, her and Arnaz's first child, they didn't want to move to New York, and that eventually convinced CBS and Morris to agree to do the filming in Hollywood and kinescope it to the East Coast, and uh, therefore um sort of huh. show it show it to re- record it for everybody rather than air it live to two uh to two regions and yeah. then um uh, show the pre-recorded versions for the other two interesting um yeah and the other some other issues not issues but some other interesting things about the production of the show uh it was filmed in front of a live studio audience which is very new at the time It actually uh To They had to go out of their way to find and also create a like partially uh, manufacture a studio uh, to fit a live studio audience in Hollywood uh, because fire safety regulations made it really difficult to do that because you had to have a place big enough with exit strategies and everything um, for obvious fire safety reasons. Uh, and then the show also pioneered the use of the of like the three camera sitcom style, which would become the norm for shows filmed in front of a live studio audience. Interesting. Because a lot of shows at the time were using single camera.
0: Huh. I mean, it um, makes and sense they, just because of like technology back then. But it's interesting yeah. that they're like the cool.
1: Um, it said pioneered the use of. So I imagine that they weren't the original, but sort of just made it popular. Yeah. Um. That, at least that's what i associate with the term pioneered um uh they also used three 35 millimeter cameras um which was i think took some convincing of cbs like uh be, but they wanted this to be really high quality which at the time the 35 millimeter camera was the highest quality camera mm-hmm. uh at least from my from my research that's sort of what i gathered um i don't know if you've um, I'm, like heard yeah, or i don't know, have any because i know you said your was it your grandfather had a 35 millimeter camera
0: oh he's a ton of different cameras both photography and film but mm. i don't off the top of my head i don't that stuff doesn't store in my brain as easily yeah um so i don't know off the top of my head but yeah
1: yeah uh well anyways for so from what i read they had to convince cbs that the to sort of get them 3 35 millimeter cameras because they didn't want to shoot from one angle of the 35 millimeter in higher quality and then from the other two angles at lower quality because this was going to be recorded and um aired uh, aired after the recording they wanted everybody to get they wanted every angle to be just as good and just as strong as Valid. the
0: average. you want Continuity yeah you of want your product. yeah the <laughs> continuity
1: of the um picture so yeah um the last thing that sort of uh that really stood out to me was they didn't initially have i don't think the the radio show had a second couple um but they felt on tv it would make more sense to have another couple for the ricardos to to uh, act off of and like to yeah, to play off of so they Makes sense created the mertz's um uh, Fred and uh, what's her face?
0: <laughs> uh, Ethel.
1: Ethel. Fred Isn't it and Ethel, Frank? I knew that. No, it's uh, Fred. It... You're right. I'm an idiot. Sure no, you're Fred. right. It's Fred. Fred and Ethel.
0: Fred and Ethel, yeah. Uh,
1: which would allow them to sort of, yeah, to just play off of each other and, and sort of allowed the, I think, the more, uh, a more, um God, I am awful with words today.
0: <laughs> I'm usually
1: pretty good with words. You are uh, usually pretty this good is with usually, words. You're the, you're the one that's usually in this position.
0: Very true, and honestly, I this is how much I I can't help. I, I I don't
1: know. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what word you're going for. Yeah, anyways, um, it would just allow for it to feel more realistic. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You also just like having someone other than just a single married couple.
1: Yeah, like having other people to interact. That's what with I was going to say. Immediately Sorry, adds it
0: more. Yeah, it adds more conversation. It adds more interest. It immediately provides more storylines that you can tell. Hence, the literal pilot episode.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, The last thing is the lost pilot for I Love Lucy. Uh, So the show filmed their original pilot, uh, which was shot before a live audience. And then that was sold to CBS. And that was what they used to convince Philip Morris to uh, that was what they used to sort of get the ad sponsors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they never aired it uh it was just it was just that it was just a pilot just then they would go it. on to film they would go on to film the actual show um and then supposedly now this was on uh wikipedia as like cita- it wasn't even it wasn't on as citation needed but it was on as like like it was on there just pulled from I- the imdb imdb trivia mm, so there was no like, like you know. actual article about it yeah um and so, the the idea was that somebody, they were like, they they were looking for it, and then they just assumed it was lost. And somebody, somebody sort of came up and said, "Oh, actually, I have it." Wait, and gave it to them. And then it it was sort of aired as a special event on CBS in 1990, well after the show had ended. Wow. Um and then who was the fuck uh, just randomly had this episode. A, I, I don't remember what it was. And had need, like the to, rights
0: to be able to like give it need to someone.
1: That's the, crazy. I love Lucy Pilot um on uh Wikipedia because it was That's it crazy, it really was dude. like I was like, what is this? So um Wow. Yeah, so it says the under pilot was considered lost until the widow of Pepito Perez, the clown who appeared in the pilot Notified CBS that she owned a copy given to Perez by Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball in gratitude for his performance.
0: Wow, that's cool.
1: Okay, so so it's so that's pulled from as far as I know. I think pulled from the IMDb page for the pilot, the trivia page. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they have a source for it either. Hmm. So it's so it's hard to know.
0: Yeah, it's hard what? to know how true. Yeah,
1: how true it was. So that's There's nothing
0: to corroborate it.
1: So in the original pilot, there was a a clown. I guess I we didn't. I didn't watch it. I don't know if you. watched yeah, no, I, didn't I watched it. <laughs> No, I didn't find
0: that. I literally I saw what was on Paramount Plus, and then I went and looked on. I like to confirm at this point, considering last episode.
1: Yeah, because we've had issues in the past.
0: It, like there was the intended pilot episode for Firefly, and the one that actually aired. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I just always like to confirm it, and that's the only reason I noticed it because totally. it says like zero and it says pilot on IMDb. Mm-hmm. So
1: definitely. Um, so yeah. So that that episode was aired on uh, on CBS in 1990 uh, as a sort of special, uh, and then would be sold on like box sets, and DVDs, and stuff. Wow. Um, but uh, but yeah. Without getting into like like I said, there was a lot of information did, that I probably sorry. could have included sorry
0: sorry i didn't mean to talk over you i just i was gonna ask a question i was waiting to see if you would cover it did they say why they didn't want that to be the original pilot like why they only use that to sell the show
1: um no i didn't see anything about why like the (laughs) interesting thing is what looking at the production of um oh actually you know what the the reason might be because uh lucy was showing
0: oh like for her pregnancy
1: for her pregnancy that might have been okay um, it didn't say up outright, and when I was looking up, like when I was looking at the production of and the the background of, like I Love Lucy as a whole, it
0: uh-huh.
1: barely mentioned this lost pilot at all.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. Like
1: this lost pilot is on the I Love Lucy epi- list of episodes Wikipedia, but not on the other Wikipedia. And so I mean, when you look it up, IMDb, it's like it's on. Yeah, yeah it's on IMDb. Um, but yeah, it's like there there wasn't a lot of information specifically about like. Like, oh, when we were producing it, we made this pilot, and then also used that to sell this, and then that didn't get aired. This is the pilot. This is the first episode we made, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not how mm-hmm. it was written. It was mostly just written like, here's the show, <laughs> here's yeah, the people in the show, interesting, So I thought that was a little bit interesting,
0: yeah, definitely is,
1: um, but yeah, so i I assume because uh she was showing. Uh, it was. It was. It did say that in the in the in the pilot that they shot for Philip Morris, she was showing, uh, and so I assume that's why they didn't use it.
0: Yeah, because then you have to add like an entirely. Yeah. New... Exactly. Yeah. And they that didn't. Makes
1: sense. Well, and and it, they didn't touch on it at all either, right? Like it wasn't part of the story. They didn't even mention the fact that she was pregnant, even though yeah. you, like I guess you could tell. I don't. I don't know it. Like I said, I hadn't seen it. I don't know how obvious it would have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So they may have waited. Or not waited, but like when they started doing the actual production, she had already had the child, uh, and um, then that Got way. It. So by the they time they had the show. one, that they, yeah, she was no longer showing.
0: Interesting. All right.
1: Um, but yeah, uh, I couldn't find a ton of great reception on like. Or I say I couldn't find like a lot of information on how the episode was received, so much as just like the show in general mm-hmm. and like the like general ratings for the season, um, but the show did, uh it was television's most watched show for four of its six seasons. Wow. So it was really popular during its run. It 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 had 24 Emmy nominations and five wins, including two that went to Lucille Ball herself.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Um And the show ran four six seasons total for 180 episodes and ended on May 6th, 1957. However, this sort of ties back in with your comment on your show about longer form television at the time. After its end, it immediately inspired a, I call it a spinoff. I don't know if it's a continuation of, mm-hmm. but it immediately inspired a new quote unquote new show that was called the Lucy Desi comedy hour. Uh, and it was basically just a long form version of the original.
0: Interesting. And that okay.
1: started airing that began airing immediately following the end of the original show and ran for 3 seasons. But there were all, there were much less episodes. So there were only 5 episodes in the first season, 5 in the second and 3 in the third.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, when you're making them that long though. Like Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> but but that ties back into what you were saying cuz that would have been in um the late 50s. And I don't know mm-hmm. like like cuz when did the Brady Bunch? When did you say the Brady Bunch aired?
0: Uh it was in 69, so a little later than that, but
1: but still there could have been that sort of time period the time frame cuz there's also yeah. the first year like it aired in 69 but the first year he was trying to sell the show was 3 years at least 3 years yeah, prior yeah
0: 60 yeah so 66 like 66 65, 65 66
1: yeah so like yeah so that just sort of that like what what he was saying about like there was more the long form content, comedy
0: yeah
1: yeah even content, content. In general,
0: it was just long form yeah, television I didn't need to say comedy
1: so yeah i just thought that was uh Like, yeah, it was interesting the way it tied into that. Um, But the show has, you know, as we were talking about earlier, since inspired many iconic like reimaginations of especially that one scene um, that uh, in the uh, with the conveyor belt and the chocolate um, and a bunch of documentaries and dramatizations. And I even wrote down like, obviously, before you and I had even talked that the uh, the movie titled ricardo's most recently which released in 2021 um starring nicole kidman and javier bardem
0: mm-hmm. yeah i feel like i remember seeing something in that show like just about the split up of desi Arnez and um and lucille ball but yeah
1: yeah for what it's show, worth you should watch that both of them so. have passed yeah for um, what it's worth they <laughs> it's not worth well, a lot i didn't yeah i mean like they would be a hundred like Oh, God, like 105 years old. I think both of them were born in the same year. Wow. In fact, Lucille Ball might be even, well, much older. Anyway, that um, becoming,
0: uh, being the Ricardos is a great, oh, it's a movie. Sorry, it's not a show. I called it a yeah, show. Yeah,
1: being the Ricardos is a movie. And there's tons of documentaries and stuff. Like, I didn't write them all down. I just went with the most recent one because it was, mm-hmm. Well, figured, there's also
0: a most recent documentary. Like oh, yeah. Because really, um, this uh, movie came out and then like a documentary came out like, a, like a month did later. did a documentary about it. Yeah, she directed it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so even that was more recent. Um, so, yeah. That I mean, was, it's yeah, still, it was
0: like right after this, after The Being or The Crowdos came out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just sort of to um, reinforce how much of, a, uh, how much of an impact this show had on television.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. Like we pick, you know what? <clears throat> let's do superlatives, then I'll say what. I yeah, want let's say. do
1: superlatives first. Uh, yeah. I'll start. Uh, my favorite character was Lucy.
0: I also picked Lucy. Yeah, my favorite. I just love her. Lucy. She's she's just entertaining. She's a fucking quality entertainer, and it's and just there's only four. Uh, it's so obvious.
1: So it's not. There's, like, yeah, there's only four. It's not as big a cast as the Brady Bunch, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Lucy's just yeah, just she's a it's fucking her vibe. Show.
0: It's her just show. She's a, a fucking vibe, and she's so fucking funny.
1: So funny. uh My least favorite character was Fred. Same piece of which, shit. I mean, are a piece of shit. so.
0: I mean, it was funny because I was like, I was doing my superlatives downstairs, and my dad was like, I mean, yeah, Fred's not a good person. Do you see how old he is in comparison to his wife? And he's calling <laughs> his wife
1: how ugly. Old he is.
0: Well, like in comparison to his wife, he's like probably no, ten yeah. to fifteen years older than her, and he's like well, consistently they're... calling her like ugly.
1: Are I don't know if the two are meant to be like i think the actor and actress for sure but i don't know if the two are meant to be that far apart in age um
0: i mean if they're to me ethel's supposed to be lucille's age that's why they're
1: friends i thought that she was supposed to be like a bit older
0: i didn't think so but i i when i see it i don't perceive it as that i perceive it as her and Lucy are friends and that's the only reason desi and and fred are friends yeah, or sorry, I mean, that's uh, fair.
1: Ricky and Fred are Ricky friends. Ricky and Fred. Ricky. Yeah, Ricky. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at it a little bit right now to see.
0: No, you're good. If, it's just, um, yeah, like, Fred, I, Either even crazy. if they weren't far apart in age, like, just to be consistently saying that about your wife and then, like, oh, yeah. how they behave no, and, like, the fact that they won't just do the thing she wants to do for their fucking, their anniversary. Like, really, you're going to try to make her go to a fucking fight? Like, what a <laughs> douche.
1: It's crazy. Yeah, no, regardless of the age stuff, he's still a dick.
0: (laughs) He's still a dick regardless of the age stuff. So Um, still my least favorite character. My least
1: favorite character. Uh, My favorite part was (laughs) I thought it was very funny when like the two when they both were trying to like, oh, let's be real sweet to him and try and convince him to do our thing. And then they both come into the room together like they all come into the room together. And it's like like they're just all trying to be sweet to each other. (laughs) I thought that was funny. And then like that is tapping it off with the cigarette scene.
0: Yeah, I really I enjoyed that part. But I think my favorite part was when Lucy calls the same chick that Desi called, Or Sorry, I keep calling him Desi that Ricky oh, yeah. calls. Um, and then she's like, they said what? they did they didn't and then she's like well did they or didn't they i thought was like well did they or didn't they but then i just like that lucy's like just just tell them you're sending them up with some real nice gals because i like the reveal actually truly threw me off of what they actually ended up going as because i thought they were gonna like show up all really nice and well done up and be like hey okay boys we're going to the club like Oh, yeah. That's what we're doing. Like, that's what I thought was going to happen. And what actually happened was very shocking to me. So just that whole, like, so build up that. and reveal, just I enjoyed
1: thoroughly. Yeah. And that that scene where they're, like, they're, like, in their costume is so funny. Mm-hmm.
0: It's great. Yeah. Uh,
1: my least favorite part was, like, pretty much any time Fred was just talking shit. But I specifically wrote down the one about him talking about how his anniversary is a reminder of a bad decision. Yeah. <laughs> like, like what, what a piece like, what of shit fuck? you are
0: <laughs> why are you like how did why did you even ever get married like what is yeah. i don't understand
1: i just like that's such an old comedic trope and obviously like yeah at the time like that's just funny like yeah. for the for like the 50s but like in hindsight you know like that's just not even a good joke like where does that even come from why would that yeah. ever be funny yeah no 100 percent. sense to me
0: 100 percent
1: um, um, I picked
0: yeah. <laughs> I picked just like They don't look that different With those quote unquote disguises on The <laughs> yeah. fact that they don't recognize Their own fucking wives to that Extent and then the only thing That actually makes them recognize them Is because Lucy knows where to grab the cigarettes Like I'm
1: like oh my god, Wow okay, how nice.
0: garbage Of husbands do you have to be That like you don't recognize your own wife When she looks kind of shitty And weird and goofy
1: it's so funny you say that because this episode felt very um yeah, I it when I was watching it I was like, this feels so much like the Flintstones episode.
0: Oh yeah. Actually. That's a good and point. Like
1: in reverse almost. Mm-hmm. Um And so, like, in the similar way, like, how do you not recognize your husband when all they're wearing is mustaches? Exactly. <laughs> oh, they're just yeah. two guys that look a lot like our husband.
0: It's like Lucy put her hair in a weird thing and put so, blacked out some of her teeth. Like, it's not that crazy. Like, yeah, you should so still be able to recognize her.
1: It was, like, very funny. And for, like, saying that, the Flintstones was actually the show that we were talking about earlier. The one where... um. They were like there was that long quote. Oh, it that was I had from Joseph Barbera. That's funny. About, okay, yeah. Uh, like we were up, we we did this for a month straight, and like on the last one, we were get, we were about ready to pack it all away until they finally picked it up. And mm-hmm. uh, I just in like that comment about him, like I wake up in a cold sweat at night sometimes thinking about how close we came to just failure and like mm-hmm. just not being anything. So yeah, it was. Uh, oh, look at that full that. circle. So it is sort of yeah, it does come full circle there, doesn't it? Um overall, I felt the show was four out of seven good noodle stars. Um okay. doesn't quite stand up as well as the Brady Bunch, I think. Doesn't quite hold up That's the comedy still. The humor's a little, little more vaudeville. Um yeah, very vaudevillian. I mean like the actors, all the actors were pretty much vaudevillian. Uh, mm-hmm. with Luc- with Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, you know, they created that vaudeville show to prove that they were good together. Um uh they uh the both of the um the actor and actress who played uh, the Mertzes, William Frawley and Vivian Vance, were both vaudevillian actors as well. Hmm. Uh, I believe.
0: That's so. fair. I gave it a five out of seven. Um, I enjoy it. I do like I I've always enjoyed that kind of vaudevillian humor. I think that's like one of my favorite things about Family Guy is that they do a really good job of taking old vaudevillian humor and making mm. it modern.
1: Um yeah. Well, and also, do, Seth MacFarlane was a huge fan of vaudevillian humor, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's like, i it's just in general, like, I think I've always enjoyed vaudevillian humor. Granted, I'm giving it a five out of seven because, like, I wouldn't personally throw this on, but if, like, one of my parents wanted to watch it, I'd be like, yeah, I'm down to watch some, some, uh, mm. lo- like, I love Lucy. Yeah. But, like, I um, wouldn't go out of my way to throw it on. You know what I mean?
1: oh gotcha yeah, yeah no i know i know versus exactly like you with
0: the brady bunch i can seriously see myself like putting it on while i'm like cleaning my room
1: true yeah no i totally get that great
0: and i've been rewatching the flash so right now the only thing <laughs> on my tv is the flash
1: <laughs> um just for what it's worth i just quickly read it again uh william Frawley, who played uh fred mertz was vaudevillian uh, vivian vance was a broadway uh star actually so I okay. that. She was not Dylan, a vaudeville actor.
0: But I mean, overall, I still enjoyed the show, like the episode. It's just like, I like the sheer fact that like the, the men are horrible in this. They're just terrible p- people. Oh, yeah. Like your wife wants to do one thing for her fucking anniversary that you don't seem to really give a fuck about. And you could go to <laughs> a fight any night. So like, yeah, just go to the club. Like, come on. It's also, um, I it's just love like, that. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say one other part I just love is just the fact that Desi and or fucking Ricky and Lucy are like, they're like basically speaking on Fred and Ethel's behalf. And she's like, all right, well, then Ethel wants a divorce. And she's like, no, I don't. (laughs) That was so funny. (laughs) That was pretty funny. Like that part I enjoyed because I was like, why are they like, are they speaking for themselves right now or for their friends? I'm kind of confused, but
1: it was really funny. Okay, so you were going to say something about
0: Oh, 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 why we picked them. I mean, why? I mean, overall, to me, when I feel like when I remembered why we put these two shows together is because it had to do with two family type stories. Um, I don't think I knew how close in and this is like and they're really in reality. They didn't come out around the same time, but the creators and the history of like the people all came up in the entertainment industry around the same era and that oh, like yeah. era of radio show stuff and like cool. rather than television and it's just really interesting because i don't think i w- was ready for how many similarities were going to happen between just the obviously desi arnaz's history is like different from everyone's and this just a, the way he came into this country and just all mm. that stuff right but, but even like, then
1: he like like once he like pretty much got here, he was like, I'm going to be a musician. Mm -hmm. And he did that. And he became like, he got into the entertainment industry pretty quickly. Yeah. But yeah, I I mean, like, just like that, the the small things, (laughs) it's all the small things, right? It's like, just like the similar to like how we enjoyed the small things about the Brady Bunch. It was the small things about all about these shows that really sort of made them similar and interesting to put together. And it is always fun to see those small things come out in like the little like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, like in this interview, he straight up names uh, Jess Oppenheimer, who was a major writer and like like potential creator of uh, the show you're doing. So,
0: yeah, I will say one thing I did look because I didn't want to like I did look up like a tiny little article that said like Lucille Ball named like Jess Oppenheimer as like kind of the brains behind the I love Lucy show.
1: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And kind of
0: with the way you describe their like history and their come up, it makes sense. Um, But yeah, it's hard to like actually consider Jess a creator, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. And in hindsight, like I, I looked at the show and I was like, when I was looking at, Oh, here's the, I love Lucy Wikipedia page. And I'm like, I just look at the top, like, Oh, where's the creator? And it's like, Oh, there is no creator um so like let me just see like oh where it's what's say here I see Desi Arnaz being mentioned a lot in like the premise and stuff yeah and background and development and so I'm like oh I I, I'm just going to look at Desi Arnaz here because that's who to me what it looks like because I would see oh he's an executive producer listed under production and Jess Oppenheimer's listed as just producer so I'm thinking like oh it's uh, it's mostly Desi Arnaz is the creator and Jess Oppenheimer is more of a writer.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. I clicked on Jess Oppenheimer's thing on their profile on IMDb, and it says, Luc- Lucille Ball called Jess Oppenheimer the brains behind I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. and with good reason. And then it says, as a series creator, producer, and head writer, Jess was the creative force behind the, the Lucy show. Yeah. So,
1: well, and the Lucy show was a later show.
0: Yeah, and I don't think in my mind... I, I correlated that. So
1: that's um, kind of why I
0: thought it was like the, he, like they were the actual creator.
1: Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, if like based on the research that I was doing, like as I went further into the production research, knowing that it came mostly from uh, this My Favorite Husband show where Jess Oppenheimer was a, like, um a, like had that mm-hmm. sort of probably more of a creator role on that radio show, then I probably would have gone back into that if I had not already done so much research on Desi on Arnaz Des, as yeah. the creator. So it's totally because of the fair. way I do my research, it kind of just like didn't get to that point.
0: Yeah. No, so, it totally, totally makes um,
1: sense. I would like to formally apologize to yeah. all. Of Honestly, the this is there,
0: actually Chase's last show.
1: Specifically Jess Oppenheimer. Um, I would like to formally apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: All right, guys. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate every one of you for taking the time to do so. If you don't currently, be sure to follow us on your podcasting platform of choice, as well as on Instagram at Back to the Pilot, so you know when a new episode gets released. While you're here, leave a review and let us know how we're doing. We'll be back after the holidays with some creepy cartoons as we take a look at Courage of the Cowardly Dog, regular show. So we hope you have a fantastic holiday season, and we'll see you next time when we take you back to the pilot. So long, everyone.
0: Crushed it. Nailed it. Boom. Roasted.
1: This is the part of the show where we come back to ASMR with Chase while Chloe's gone. And I just speak softly into my microphone about things that don't matter. Like, I don't know. um, Christmas? We're about to celebrate Christmas as we record this. It's almost Christmas. Chloe's coming out. That's not to celebrate Christmas, but she's coming out. Um, And I'm sad because i got a gift for her to be delivered and it isn't gonna be here in time for her to come out and i don't know if she's i don't know if i'm gonna tell her that before or after she listens to this but that was asmr talk with chase thank you